let's get going, because there's kids workers, you know. I said I'd be about two hours. Uh, now, we haven't got a clicker, or it's one of, so the clicker will be me waving at you. Okay. Right, great. Uh, reading is from actually uh, Romans 14, it's a very short reading. Um, I don't know what you think the kingdom of God is like. Majestic, powerful signs, whatever. You'll find in a minute that Paul defines, gives the definition of what the kingdom of God is like. See if you can spot it. Right, let's go. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual understanding. <laughs> hey, you ask, you might say, what's this all about eating food that's clean or unclean? What on earth are you on about? Well, see, the, the Christians in Rome have got in themselves in a bit of a pickle, really. Um, talk about getting your eye off the ball, which we can easily do. You see, the church in Rome was made up of Romans who were Gentiles with no Jewish background and Jews who had come to faith. So we have this interesting mix, about 50-50, they think, in the church at Rome. Jews who realised Jesus was their Messiah and got saved, and Gentiles who come to faith. Obviously, they had different views on whether you could eat meat that had been offered to idols. That's what he's talking about here. See, the Romans had many gods, idols. They would offer animal sacrifices at Zeus or Ares or whatever. And the meat would then later be sold in the market. Which brings me, he wasn't looking at me. I'll explain that in a minute. You see, we need to understand the argument or the disagreement they were having was if that's been offered to an idol that's quite demonic, really, and now it's come to the marketplace, I'm not happy to eat that. And you'll see Paul is saying, well, there's nothing wrong in the meat itself. But if you think there's something wrong, don't touch it. You have a free choice on that. We would call this like a closed fist and an open hand. That really means this. There's some things in our faith. They weren't arguing about the fundamental belief in gospel. They were all clear that they believed that Jesus died, rose again, ascended, the Holy Spirit had come upon them, and so on. Those closed fist things, the word of God, they believe well, the Bible is the authority, the word of God that we live our lives on. They're closed fist things. Would you agree? There's some things you're not going to agree. You know, I, I, I can't let go of those. There are some open-hand things which are more general, not to do with our salvation, not even really to do with our, doc, doc, uh, our, our doctrine. So the disagreements they had were on secondary matters. And you can understand, can't you? 
Here's this Jew. He's been serving the Lord. He's been faithful. He's been Sabbath-keeping. He's been washings. He, circumcision, if he's a male. He's been attending the synagogue, reciting scriptures, keeping himself ceremoniously clean by having little or no contact with Gentiles, definitely abstaining from eating meat, keeping away from unclean animals. That was his way of life. When he sees that Jesus is his Messiah, wow, this is the one we've been waiting for for years. He's thrilled. He gets saved. He, the Holy Spirit comes in him. But many of them, as Paul was writing to them, couldn't just throw off their old way of life. They needed time to work out what was now allowed and what wasn't. Big argument was about circumcision at one time. Their consciences were being challenged. They were vulnerable. If you read that, the chapter there, Paul talks about them being weak in faith. He doesn't mean weak in faith of salvation, but not secure in what they can eat and what they couldn't eat. See, they must have struggled with the idea these Roman believers were fully accepted, apart from any loss, through their simple faith in Jesus, their Messiah. Good news, isn't it, for you and I? Haven't got to do anything rule-wise. It's our faith. The Gentile Christians, Roman Christians, had no such concerns. So they wondered what all this was about. So Paul refers to them as strong. See, they could quote Paul, actually, in verse 14 of our reading, and he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. If you read further in the chapter, in verse 27, everything is indeed clean. The Roman Gentile Christians would say, who cares if we eat meat that's been offered to idols? Meat is just meat. Tuck in. But have you ever felt pressurized to do something you weren't comfortable with because others wanted you to? It's wrong, isn't it? The awful peer pressure that some of our teenagers feel from their friends and social media. There's this pressure. Listen, we must always honour a person's integrity. Some of the Jewish Christians weren't as free as the Roman Christians to enjoy the wonderful grace of God yet fully. In fact, some of them thought that such free behaviour was wrong and they started to judge them, I'm afraid. That's why Paul had to step in here. He said, I, I, he said, I know and persuaded the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But he then says, if it's clean, sorry, it's in my reading, it says, it, but it's clean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Or whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. Or whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So the weak Christians could either feel a bit judgmental to these Romans. What about these other rules we've kept for years? Or they could feel fearful. Oh, oh dear, I'll be second rate. I'll be being silly. And therefore, when you look at the closed fist and the open hand, it's through to the day. If I've got a brother or sister in the church who has a problem with alcohol, not necessarily that they're tempted to have too much, then I need to honour that, don't I? Yeah? <laughs> what about things like uh, what you watch on television? What series you look, look at? Some of us think, well, I don't know if I could cope with that. It's too much blood or gore or too much sex or whatever. Others think, well, no, I, I, I'm okay with that. We, we, they're kind of open-hand things. If you look at, if you look at um, other denominations, the way they worship, if that's the way they want to worship, it's an open-hand thing. I love to worship where in 1 Corinthians 14 says, everyone has a gift. And, and we have body ministry here. 
I don't need to have robes on. If some people want that, it's, I'm not going to cause a problem. I, I've prayed, I've ministered and preached in the high Anglican churches <laughs> and Baptist churches. Uh, or, if we're one in Christ, if my close fist, and he has a close I used to pray in Dorchester with the canon there, Thomas Woodward. Now, when I went and preached in his church, they had smells and bells, you know, the incense. Oh, and it was all very... And they had their own kind of pattern. I didn't mind. God bless them. There's some lovely stuff in the prayers. Because he loved the Lord. We will pray together. You understand what I'm saying? So I think we, we don't open our hands to stuff we don't feel is right. What does the word of God say on gender? What does the word of God say on such things? We say, well, I'm sorry. No, I can love you. But we can't agree with some things. But within our own church, we need to respect each other. Therefore, very much. We do, Ben. A new commandment says Jesus, I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I think that's one of the best evangelistic techniques, I don't like techniques, in this church. By your love for one another, a non-Christian will come and say, what is it you've got? It's not that you're preaching necessarily, but they, they will just sense that love. So, the strong were already in danger of judging their Jewish brothers like this of being weak, and therefore Paul has to say, stop passing judgment on one another. Fillmore says this, Ben, our love for Jesus isn't proved by how much we say it, by how much we love and serve the people in his church. Another one, Ben, Paul says to those strong in faith, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbour for his good to build him up. So Paul is quite angry. He's quite angry that this has got out of hand. <laughs> Making the minor issues major, which is ridiculous. And therefore he comes out with this glorious statement, really, um, which is, <laughs> the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, for goodness sake, but it's of righteousness, peace, Joy in the Holy Spirit. Good, eh? The kingdom of God is about righteousness. Now, righteousness stands uh, 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 is a word that talks about our standing before God. Are you in a right relationship with God or not? Doesn't mean you're perfect, of course. That's why one John one says, you know, if we say we we haven't sinned, we're deceiving ourselves. But we're in a right standing with Jesus, uh, with God, because Jesus has died for us and brought us into that place. Now, he's been very clear in these readings here. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says to these Romans, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, or in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. So when we put our faith in Jesus we are given a gift of righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? It's a gift. You can't earn that. It means you are now placed in the family of God. You are now in a right relationship with God. Yes, you need changing. He'll help you do that. But you now are, you've crossed over from being an enemy of God to a friend of God by your faith. That's a relief, isn't it? It's a gift. He says in Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from doing all the Ten Commandments and everything. 
although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through what? Faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation means put, stood in your place. He bore it away for you, stood in your place. And it also says this famous one in Romans 4, to the one who works, he's saying the one who works hard to try to get to heaven, who works hard to try to please God, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. In other words, what he's saying is if you do a job of work for an employer, what he gives you isn't a gift. You've earned it. Yes? Do you understand that? Yeah? <laughs> then he says that's one person. But he says to the one who doesn't work, what do you mean? Doesn't, doesn't try to do anything to justify salvation, to get in the gift. But, but who does what? Believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Well, that's another big relief. Here's what? Faith is counted as? So Paul's made it quite clear to these guys, the kingdom of God is righteousness. It's, and it comes by faith in Jesus. What privilege it is to be given this gift. I used to read as a youngster the, the Psalms, and I, I read about the blessed as a righteous man, and well, I could never be that. <laughs> then I realised it's not to do with being perfect or good. He was obeying the laws, he took his sacrifices, therefore he was counted right with God. You are my people. Wow. We too, though, also not perfect, have put our trust in the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice that God has provided. And in doing so, we are now declared righteous. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what we're seeing here, I'm right with God, but I still sin. Yes? So I'm in a right relationship with God, but all the time I now have access to that blood going on continually, washing me and forgiving me. Oh, that's a relief, isn't it? It's glorious. I can start to live. I can start to do stuff with God. And notice that he's faithful and just. Well, you think, if he's just, shouldn't he damn us? No, he's just because the punishment has been paid. It would be unjust of God not to forgive you if you repented of sin and put your faith in Jesus. Do you understand? Jesus has paid your price for you. Therefore, not to forgive you would be unjust. Yes? So he's faithful and just because, oh, Jesus has paid the just price. Not only forgive me, but do also, what else? cleanses me from one righteousness. In our relationship with God, which is a right relation, I'm righteous with God now, actually, all the time I'm being cleansed and forgiven and changed, which is great. Terry Vogel says this, if you're in Christ, you're a saint. It's not a title you earn. It's not given you by the church after you've died. <laughs> you're declared holy by God, separate, because you now believe and are set apart from him. <laughs> so Paul is saying to his friends in Rome, Listen, you've been made righteous. And if you've been made righteous, separate, special, holy, made special to God, live as righteous people. 
<laughs> Knowing that. that. You haven't got to earn anything. There's no judgment in you. It's all of grace. You don't deserve it. Those people there don't deserve it. They might act in a different way. You act in a certain way. Just come to me, love them and bless them. Let that righteousness spill out. He says in, in chapter 12 of this book, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable and perfect. And so we need to say, okay, once I understand the kingdom of God is about righteousness and I've been made righteous, that starts to affect my thinking. I start to see people differently. I see my own life, my own worth differently. Wow, you should love me, choose me. And that transforms my behaviour in time. I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. No. So the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's righteousness and it's peace. Wow. What a peace. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He's writing, look at the things we've got here, justification, peace, faith, grace, hope. Wow. See, there is peace with God. When you give your life to Jesus and say, I want to trust you, Actually, we have been given peace with God. You have peace with God through Jesus. You're not his enemy. There's no enmity. There's no warfare. There's no guilt. No shame. No hiding. Isn't it wonderful when you come into prayer? You don't have to wear any mask. You don't have to con God. You don't have to pretend to God, do you? You know, sometimes I say, Lord... You know, especially if you've failed a bit in thinking on what you're doing, you think, oh, this is what I'm like without you, Lord. <laughs> oh, dear. I don't know how you saved me, but I'm thrilled you saved me. I'm not arguing with that, Lord. But I don't wear any mask. Now help me in my need. Come to help me in my time of need. Wow. The masks come off. Let God thoroughly know you. Be honest with him. And yet through his blood, be cleansed and healed through him. Keller says this, the gospel says for the Christian, you're more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, <laughs> yet more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. It's got to be changed. I've known the Lord since I was eight, so it's about 150 years ago. What I'm saying is, you know, he's still changing me. I'm righteous in Christ. Hallelujah. Heaven's mine. I'm as righteous as the Apostle Paul. Because Paul's... Up the Apostle Paul's righteousness wasn't his own. Whose was it? Jesus' righteousness. And if we need it, if we see that, oh, wow, I'm in a very secure place with God. I can just be open with him and honest with him. And actually, I am. You know, you say to a young guy who thinks he's perfect, he gets married and he suddenly realises how selfish he is, doesn't he? Yeah? How releasing, how reassuring to be totally open and honest with God and God's saying, there's no enmity. There's peace here. Come, come. Speak to him often. Tell him how you feel. How you fail. How you need him. Share with him your joys. Your sins and failures. Your anxious thoughts. You know, 
this peace he gives us, he will never ever be put off by you. Or throw his hands up. Oh, goodness gracious, that's so terrible. Because he knows what you're like. He knows what you're like when he saved you. <laughs> Dane Orland's got a glorious book called Gentle and Lowly. Um, it's a really super book. It's just it's such a blessing. He talks about a compassionate doctor traveling deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe who have a contagious disease. He has the funds, he has the antibiotics, but as he seeks to provide care, a lot of the afflicted tribe refuse him. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. Then he writes this, Finally, a few brave young men and women step forward to receive the care being provided. What does the doctor feel? Joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. How much more if the diseased are not strangers but his own family? So with us and so with Christ. He doesn't get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress, and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down to the horror of death, plunged through the other side, in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. Is that great? Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy. Put that on your head. Turn it upside down and you're thinking... So when I come and say, Lord, I've failed again, sorry. Oh, glad you came. That's why I'm here. Come to forgive. Come to build you up. Come to help change you. Does that surprise you? That's, that's how holy he is, how different, how special he is. You're not his enemy, you're his child. You have peace with God. But not only peace with God, you have peace. He's, he's half asleep half the time. <laughs> You have peace from God. See, Jesus says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. See, we can access this peace from God at any time. Especially in our most trying times. These famous verses here. Wow. Do not be anxious about anything. So contrary to everybody who lives in my street, they're anxious about everything, whether it's a global warning or the war here or the gas bill or whatever. Paul is saying, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? God, dear me, we're so bad at that. I had a person coming who, who suffers a bit. It's half empty all the time. This guy came to me and said, I wish I could. I said, listen, when you get up in the morning, I want you to thank God for five things. Eh? I said, don't ask him for anything. Just thank him for five things. You know, the following week, he says, I, it just picks me up a bit, that. Shouldn't be a surprise, should it? <laughs> but he's saying, don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, thank you, Lord, you're listening to me, you're with me. Thank you, I'm yours, I'm right with you. That's great, Lord. Thank you for your grace that keeps coming again and again, I need that. Let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which doesn't make 
sense. That's what he's saying. It passes all understanding. Well, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Have you ever experienced that peace? It's a, it's a peace of the Holy Spirit. See, if you're a Christian, where does the Holy Spirit live? In here. So often he usually speaks to us through our thinking, through our imagination, through our thoughts, through vision, through the Word of God coming alive, but it's in here. But also, the Holy Spirit, if he lives in me, what, who is the Holy Spirit like? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Joy. Right, okay. So if he lives in me, in me, deep inside me, right in my spirit, is joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. So I know whatever's going on out there, I know deep in my heart, the Holy Spirit has peace to offer me. Jesus says, I want you to know that peace. So when you're burdened or concerned, your natural instinct is to worry. What you do is you take that worry and say, I'm, I'm going to choose not to worry. I'm going to choose to cast everything to God with thanksgiving and say, right, I'm going to turn it over to him. We're going to share this together. He wants to burden. He wants to say, look, take my yoke upon you. you know, I've got yoke here. Put the yoke over your shoulder. That's there. Put it on my shoulders. Right, let's get going. Thank him. Get it off your chest. Get some of the weight off your shoulders. Dare to trust him in it all. You remember his promises. You find peace. Peace in the trouble. Peace in the storm. Fear not. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. Yeah, it's, that's a thought, isn't it? Yeah, we, most of us don't feel very, very special, do we? But if we were in a football crowd and Jesus walked in, he'd say, Giga, how are you doing? They said, what's special about him? Well, that's what he's like, you see. Olu. Wow. How are you doing? We are special to him. He knows you by name. I've called you by name. You're mine. I belong to Jesus now. For good or bad, he's taken me. My wife took me for better or for worse. <laughs> a lot worse. Jesus has taken me for better or worse. He's never going to let me go. Never. He started working me, Philippians 1.6, and he's going to carry it through till either he comes again or I go to be with him. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. It makes all the difference. When you're going through his trouble... You think, did I bring this on myself? What is it, situation, or is it health, or whatever it is? Lord, you're with me in it. What do you know about suffering, Jesus? Oh, oh, right, okay. What do you know about feeling lonely and rejected? Oh, okay, etc. I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. I'm afraid, guys, we've got to go through these rivers. Each day's got trouble of its own, hasn't it? And sometimes you think, I'm going to drown. But actually, Jesus says, it's not going to get over there. It's going to get to there. Come on, I'm going to get you through. Trust me. Oh, I'm going to trust you. In all this storm, I can have your peace. Right, I've met your peace. You've got this covered. Or you've got this covered. I'm trusting you. Hallelujah. Thank you. And then he says, when you go through the fire, you won't be, you're going to have to go through the fire, guys. We have to go through the things that every human being has to go through. As Christians, we have to have that um, as a sign to say, look, these guys are going through the same things you're going through, but they have me with them. They have a peace which you don't have. And they think, well, how do you get through? 
How did you get through Jane dying two years ago? How'd you cope? Him? Sue? So, oh, you find a peace. You see, you don't need something until you need it. So some people say, oh, I don't know if I could be martyr for Jesus. Well, wait till you get there. You'll finally give you the grace. I'm not enlisting for that, Lord, but it's not going to go through a bereavement or you go through a pain or you go through, through a financial problems. And you see, some people either turn away from God or turn to God. What idiots? Turn to God. Let him work in you, help you. When you walk through a fire, you will not be burned. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. It, so on. This, this, this peace, it passes understanding. I don't know, many of you have probably found that. You've gone through a difficult situation. And yet you found the peace of God. Wow. How are you doing? God's helping me. And on the final one on peace, we have obviously peace of God to share with others. As we walk with Jesus, remember he was called the Prince of Peace. So we will aim, or even strive, it says in the scripture, to live in peace with our brothers and sisters. So Paul says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And start trying, instead of looking for the thing you might argue, you can never build a relationship or what, what you disagree with, can you? Yes? You can never build a relationship if you're arguing. But if we agree, we can hear each other and so on. And I think the Christians in Rome, some of these Gentiles needed to do that, live in peace with each other. Be patient with everyone. What's a mature Christian? A mature Christian isn't someone who knows the Bible, can be there. <laughs> a mature Christian is someone who is loving, joyful, gentle, long-suffering. Good, we're back here again, aren't we? Peace. Self-control. I've met some older Christians who've known the Lord for years. They haven't grown up much. They haven't. They haven't got the maturity of fruit that's grown. They've got gifts but they've not let God use the painful things of life to mature them. Wow. Yes, finally the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, peace with God, peace from God, peace to share with him. But it's also joy in the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I think joy could be considered the barometer of a Christian's life. See, the joy in the Holy Spirit, by the way, has got nothing to do with our temperament or our circumstances or our state of health. You know the old thing, happiness happens, but joy abides. It's true, happiness can come and go, but joy stays on time. See, the joy we're talking about here is the joy of the Christian that just won't be pressed down. Circumstances won't press it down. Situations, but we have the joy of the Lord. We're his. In fact, this is the worst it gets. <laughs> good, isn't it? This is the worst it gets. It's going to be all good from here, isn't it? No debts, no bills, no this, that, the other, whatever. <laughs> I think it could be a barometer, definitely. See, this joy starts off with looking at the two things I've mentioned. It's joy because I'm righteous in Christ and I'm his forever. But it's also joy because I've got peace with God and I can receive his peace. So, so they're linked to it, whatever. I think, I think it was Ruth Warren that said that it, it's, it's put down as Rick, but I think it's his wife. Rick Warren's... Sorry, I didn't refer to that, did I? Put it back up for a minute, Ben. It's an important comment. The last one. 
Rejoice. This is the Christian life. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's our Christian life. Sometimes we're in tears. Then it breaks out in joy again. We cry with somebody else, what they're going through, family or whatever. You know, it's right to weep. It's good to weep. It's not a depressive thing. It's a response to the situation. But the Christian life is times for weeping, but then joy just keeps breaking through. Okay, Ruth Warren said this. I think it's good. She is, by nature, a half-empty person. She's not really... Hi, isn't it great today? It's, I'll wake up at 11 with a cup of coffee. Or I'll wake up, but don't talk to me. <laughs> you know, that kind of person. If that's you, then God bless you, that's right. Okay. Ruth says this. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. Crumbs, sounds like elephants. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. See that? How you're going through whatever you're going through, good or bad, actually, God's in control because I've given him my life. Joy is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. Actually, it does end happily ever after, doesn't it? For us, then it ended happily ever after. And we think it's a fairy tale. But the whole folk tales and everything are only echoes of what the true thing is. And it's the determined choice to praise God in every situation. So as you praise God, what you're doing, you're saying, I acknowledge your lordship over the situation. The lordship over my life. Amen? So when you look at that joy, it's a... It's not... <laughs> it's the settled assurance, settled assurance, the quiet confidence and the determined choice. Yes? How joyful are you? Uh, would you be known as a joyful person? That's not to get up a go at anyone at all. Just think it's good to realize that. Actually, yeah. And if I'm not, oh, do I need to settle it in my life? Assuredly, that God is in control of my life. Do I need to be confident, just quietly confident, that actually it's all going to be well? He said he promised he'd turn everything, all things work together for good to those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. Do I need to make a choice to praise God more, to thank God more, to actually, instead of listening to myself, preach to myself more? Interesting, what motivated Jesus to go through all the shed with Cat? You know? What motivated him to do that? We would say, well, obviously love. Uh, by the way, the biggest pain wasn't the physical. It was the mental, emotional, but it was a spiritual pain. He'd never, ever fallen out with his father. It was a pure love. And suddenly, yeah. He tasted sin. You know, when you see something dirty that's sinful. And then he felt the weight of all that sin coming on him. And his father having to pour out hell on him. Why did he do that? Let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who, for what? the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 
despising the shame, <laughs> and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we complain about the things we have to, to lay our lives down for. And it, you know, it's become so, so selfish and miserable. But for the joy set before him, he said, Father, I'm gonna, we're going to go through this together, Father. It's going to break your heart. It's going to break mine. But we're going to do it because we want to see redeemed people. We want a family of human beings loving you and worshipping you. Ah, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to get Isaac into the kingdom. I'll do it. I'll... Amazing, isn't it? But the joy of that motivated him. Like, like that, Nehemiah 8, verse 10, we know very well, don't we? <laughs> Nehemiah's calling them to build this wall. They're trying to build the wall uh, of Jerusalem. They're being attacked. There's a lot of political intrigue. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And he's got the famous verse here. Don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I find joy strengthens me. When I start to realize who I am in Christ, even though I'm going through a difficult time, yeah, that strengthens me. It kind of stiffens my spine. It makes my knees strong. Uh, and you find you, that God is enthusiastic about you. When you're feeling blur, God is always enthusiastic about me, Clem. Isn't that amazing? I know my failures. I know what I'm like. And yet he said, no, you're my boy. Come on. We're going to get you through. Let's go, go, go. And, and you know, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Moaners become losers. Pessimists don't trust in their God. But actually, true Christian joy starts to give you enthusiasm or zeal or energy. Three quick things. You're nearly done. Why did I say that Christian life could be a barometer for you to think through? Well, the first is this. True joy cannot coexist with sin. If you're violating your conscience, that's why Paul was saying to these uh, Jewish Christians, if, if, if it's disturbing you and you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. If you're violating your conscience, you can kiss your joy goodbye. That's not Paul's words. <laughs> it's not until you return to God and repent and get his forgiveness that joy can start to grow again. There are is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So get back to God. Keep in the grace of God. The second joy, true joy cannot coexist with unbelief. Sorry, true joy can't exist with legalism. I've jumped one. Yes, if you're trying to earn your way into the uh, presence of God, you won't have joy. If you're saying, oh dear, I haven't prayed much this week. Oh dear. You're getting into legalism as though your relationship with God, or your salvation anyway, is to do with your beautiful, obedient behavior. It's not. I can pray today, not because of how good or bad I've been, but because of my faith in Christ, and because I know he loves me, and because I know he will always hear me. Not because I've been very good and I've read the Bible through in a year. Although you're mad if you don't read the Bible, you're mad if you don't pray. But if you're trying to earn your way into God's good books, please give up. You'll fail and you will feel condemned. You'll never be. You know, you'll pray for 20 minutes and the enemy will say, you were spiritual, it'll be half an hour. Oh, so you pray for half an hour. Mm -hmm. 
be an hour, really. You know, and we do it through the year. Oh, you've missed six, so I've got to catch up six days with. As though God's you know, bothered by all that. He's bothered about you being honest and open with him. He wants intimacy with you. Uh, that's why the, the Galatians letter is all about, don't get... He says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? In other words, why are you starting to go through doing all these things that are laws and religious duties? You, know, you were saved through your faith in Christ. And the third one here is, true joy cannot coexist with unbelief. If you don't doubt, if you doubt God, see, when you look at those three things of joy, if, if you haven't got a set of assurance in God to keep his word, if you doubt he's going to keep his word, you won't find joy there. Oh dear, would he really forgive me? Wait, are you saying he's a liar? Do you mean he's given me the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't think I deserve You never will. And if we doubt, it blocks our joy bursting forth. My old Baptist pastor, John Bolton, would say this, don't doubt in the dark what you believed in the light. You know, when you were open and you saw what was going on, what was true, yes, I know that was true. So when you go through a difficult time, don't start to, oh, was it, shouldn't it, no, hold on. When life was normal, that was true. So it's true now. The sun is there even though the clouds are over the place. Not trusting God means you must be trusting something else or someone else. Perhaps you're trusting your money or your career or others, or you're trusting yourself, which is a very stupid thing to do, isn't it? Or you can trust yourself, you can trust God. Look and see today. Is there joy in my life? Lord, I want that joy to come through, because it's my strength. But also it's my motivation. The joy of the Lord not only is your strength, but for the joy before him, he endured the cross. And once you have that joy, you can endure stuff for Christ. And you can even be martyred, apparently, though I've not got there. Let the joy come. Let the corners of your mouth raise up a little notch every now and again, please. So there you have it. The church in Rome needed reminding. Perhaps we do also today. But when Jesus is the king of your life, what will be noticed in you will be his kingdom life, which is righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. That will flow out to others. It's seen and it's tasted. I said before, your attitude speaks louder than your words. People pick up the attitude. They're worried. Why aren't you worried? Why does he have that peace? Why he goes through all this stuff? Is that that joy of the Lord? What is it about that person? It speaks. And finally, it's said that when things happen in your life, it's ten percent what happens to you, ninety percent how you respond to it. We think it's the other way around. We all will go through things. 10%, 90% is how you bring God into it, how you thank him, how you praise him, how you believe him, how you trust him, and suddenly that looks very small, and we can overcome that. Let's pray. Paul gives a kind of prayer, benediction, in chapter 15, and he says this, 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Dear Lord, we want to be more like Jesus. Lord, he was so, his righteousness shone out, but he was so peaceful, even on storms, even when there's demoniac demons shouting at him. Lord, even on the cross, he's considering his mum and his best friend, John. Lord, such peace and such joy. Lord, he was great to be around. Those in need flocked to him, the religious didn't. But those like us just came to him because we needed help and they needed help. Such joy. Lord, help us to be those that bear the name of Jesus with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen.